T-Mobile and Sprint. These are two wireless companies that serve a combined total of about 30% of the U.S. mobile market. They're also two companies with a long on-again, off-again history. Well, at least when it comes to deal-making. And now, after a third attempt at getting together, the companies are awaiting regulatory approval from the Trump administration, all while Democrats on Capitol Hill voiced their opposition to the deal. Uh, tell me why you think this isn't going to result in some of the things we've seen uh, in other mergers where it did raise prices uh, and it, it didn't bring competition. Hello and welcome to Behind the Money with the Financial Times. I'm Amy Keene. This week on the show, the FT's corporate finance and deals editor, James Fontanella-Khan, is back in the studio. He's here to tell us how T-Mobile and Sprint finally got together and how approval of this deal could shape the telecoms industry and what American consumer options are in decades to come. James, when did these two companies first consider getting together? Well, the first time was back in 2014. Sprint made the first move. This morning, say Sprint and T-Mobile have worked out a merger after months of talks. Sprint would pay $32 billion in cash and stock for T-Mobile. It was um, Masasan of SoftBank, but a big stake through SoftBank in, in Sprint. And his goal back in 2013 was to effectively consolidate uh, further the, the U.S. telecom market, a bit how he had done in, in Japan. He had then, I think, in around 2005, six bought out Vodafone in Japan and used that to kind of roll up companies in Japan. He became a giant player there. He just wanted to do the same thing in the U.S. So that is what I am trying to do. I am bringing information revolution. He thought it would be easy uh, by precisely forging a merger with with T-Mobile, which was the other kind of scrappy in kind of new upcoming firm. You know, the two market leaders here were Verizon and AT&T. So what happened? Well, it didn't work out. The two sides were having friendly talks. They had reached an agreement. But then U.S. regulators made it very clear that they did not want this merger to go forward. Uh, The fear was simply that it would not be in the best interest of consumers and and so they just had to walk away from it. Can you tell me a little bit more about what the regulatory environment was like in that 2013-2014 period when a Sprint T-Mobile tie-up just was not going to pass the test? So the, the big concern for regulators has always been that there's a belief, and this was just not only in the U.S. but in Europe too, that you needed to have at least four players to effectively give consumers a decent amount of choice. The problem, though, on the other side, you had telecom companies which felt like they were struggling to compete. Their margins were getting pressed, and partly because the, the cost of investing in the infrastructure related to these wireless companies is, is huge. And they thought by joining Sprint and T-Mobile, they could better compete against AT&T and Verizon. They're saying right now, number one and number two are so much bigger that combining three and four, Sprint and T-Mobile, really does create real competition amongst them. But there had been cases in in Europe where one country, I think it was Austria, allowed four operators to go down to three operators and prices did go up. So there was a kind of evidence that that kind of deal was not going to be in the best interest of consumers. So this is taking place during Obama's second term. What was the tone on regulation from his administration? 
As president, I believe that America is stronger when our middle class can count on things, uh, rules to protect consumers from being taken advantage of. At the time you had Tom Wheeler, who was, had been appointed by President Barack Obama, so a, a Democrat, and he was heading the, the FCC, which is the Federal Communications Commission. And it's the, in, in the case of telecom mergers, they're kind of one of the main watchdogs to kind of safeguard the interest of consumers. And the mandate from the top was always very clear, do not allow a merger between two telecom companies. By the way, in 2011, AT&T tried to buy T-Mobile and the regulator blocked it. So it was very consistent. The antitrust environment at the time was a bit more rigid, or at least they were concerned of kind of big telecom and, and also cable operators becoming too large. And they did that this was going to stifle competition. I mean, at the heart of it is kind of consumer welfare. And that was effectively what was driving intellectually the, the antitrust bodies at the time. What sort of happens to both of these companies in that time? Go back to their respective corners and recalibrate. What happened? What then? What happened next? Well, as I said, they, they, they took a pause. And during that pause, SoftBank decides to appoint a new CEO at Sprint. T-Mobile, which is controlled by uh, a German telecom company known as Deutsche Telekom, goes back to its corner. And effectively, they have to keep on growing. They say, we'll go back to the drawing board. We believe in our own personal strategy. And they start kind of, you know, competing with each other. And interestingly, rather than going after the two big kind of players, Verizon and AT&T, they're actually very much competing for the same kind of demographic. Which uh, is? Millennials, kind of younger people, a lot of immigrants who are kind of new Americans. Is all of that code for people looking for slightly less expensive plans? Absolutely. Which ignites a, effectively a, a price war in, in the U.S., which is unheard of. I mean, the U.S. has some of the highest prices for uh, wireless carriers in the world. So making a call here is expensive, or buying a plan here is more expensive than it is in most of Western Europe. Right, John, a lot of people feel that companies themselves are soulless, that CEOs are buttoned down. You are a living, breathing example that that's wrong. Yeah. So T-Mobile, under the leadership of, uh, of Legere. Legere being John Legere, the chief executive of T-Mobile. Who's like a flamboyant uh, chief executive. He's like kind of very colorful. Always wears a pink t-shirt. Always wear a pink t-shirt, like with you know, the logo of the company. Uh, this button-down CEO would like to give you this Valentine's card. And you can just see, Jim, it says, Verizon is red, AT&T is blue. T-Mobile loves our customers, and we love theirs too. Through a very aggressive marketing campaign and through policies like slashing costs pretty radically, he attracted a lot of users. Mm -hmm. And so what did that do for the business? Well, they leapfrogged. And I mean, that really hurt both the, the, the big players, but it, it also hurt Sprint a lot, which was like falling behind. It was like suffering. They couldn't really match the, the, the pricing war. I mean, they had to bring those prices down, but you know, they weren't kind of getting as many users to justify the, the, the cuts in, in, in prices. And, and that's the moment when Sprint started like getting somewhat in, into trouble. I mean, and had to indebt itself massively to keep on growing. So what did T-Mobile then do with its sort of uh, improved market position? Well, things kind of turned around. This time around, we have T-Mobile 
train a court sprint. Absolutely. So they reached out uh, uh, to sprint. But at this stage, you no, know, T-Mobile was in a position of greater strength compared to, to sprint. And it looked like they, they were heading in the right direction. But Mazasan didn't really like this kind of change in dynamics. He liked to be, you know, he liked to be in charge. And like he liked the world as it was in 2014, where his company was bigger than the one that he was looking to get together, which meant at the end of the day, we often speak about mergers of equals. This was not going to be a mergers of equals anymore. So really what blocks them is they say it's, it's the economics, i.e. they couldn't Meaning. agree on, on pricing. And I remember covering that story in 2017, talking to some of the people like very closely involved in, in the negotiations. And they were describing a very tense meeting going on in Japan, in Tokyo, and where effectively Mazasan pulled the plug and said, this is not going to work this way. So by this point, it's 2017. Sprint and T-Mobile can't figure out how to enter into a merger agreement. But the officials policing these kinds of deals have changed. There's a new regime in Washington. We're here today for one single reason, to cut the red tape of regulation. You have a president that will take a very different stance from the previous one. Barack Obama, who had blocked two telecom deals and had blocked also a cable deal between Time Warner Cable and um, Comcast. The feeling is, if we can create American champions that can compete globally, no problem. And, I mean, here it's kind of tricky because you have a German company and a Japanese company. but In terms of the majority shareholder. Yeah, but effectively, it, it is seen as T-Mobile... And Sprint are seen as two U.S. corporations. They employ people locally. That was the big, you know, the cataclysmic change in 2017. And what about the changing of the guard at the FCC? Oh, that's also very important. You know, uh, at the FCC, you have now Ajit Pai, who is openly Republican. He has spoken very clearly about deregulation. We want to have that light touch regulatory approach that started in the Clinton administration that allows all kinds of companies uh, to grow and thrive. And that's Some of our listeners might know him for being you know, the man behind you know, fighting back net neutrality, which was a policy that was like strongly enshrined in, in, and, and pushed by the Obama administration of kind of keeping, in simplistic terms, to keep the internet free and, and not to create a, a, a tiered internet. He was always very clear about keeping, you know, being open to deregulation. T-Mobile is buying Sprint for an all-stock deal worth $26.5 billion. The merger would create a company valued at $146 billion, and if approved by regulators, the U.S. wireless market will be dominated by three companies, T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T. At that point, SoftBank has grown into a much bigger company. Telecoms is still an important part of their business, but Mazasan has created uh, the Vision Fund, which is a $100 billion SoftBank-backed fund where they're investing in a ton of tech companies. So he's kind of really focused a lot on that. And actually, he's kind of tired of like losing a ton of money from Sprint. At this point, Sprint has like around, I think, $30 billion in debt. So they really, really need to get together with T-Mobile. 
Okay, so James, what were the terms of the deal that they finally were able to agree to? So what happens after all this back and forth? Deutsche Telekom, so the owner of, 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 of T-Mobile, ends up with a 42% stake. They are the biggest shareholder in the new combined company. SoftBank ends with around 27%. So, you know, you, you see who dominates in, in, this, in this new kind of combined company. The remainder is, is, goes to the public. And, and this is a way that you know, everybody feels is, is fair. They both get some form of representation on the board, and there's a clear direction of, of where they're going. And from the outset, they, they sell the deal in a way that you know, they, they, they realize regulators are, ha- are going to have to look at this closely. The smart thinking is, let's focus on w- what's the sexy thing now in American telecom politics? It's 5G. So when they roll out their announcement of their combination... Hey, everybody. I'm back. You know what these videos mean. It means I have big news to share. It's all about 5G, 5G, 5G. Broadband, a company that will create thousands of new American jobs and the only company with the capacity to quickly create a broad and deep nationwide 5G network. This combination will help us roll out 5G. It's the only way we can do this. You know, if you want 5G, you need to let us get together. You know, they keep on repeating. That's right, John. This is very important because 5G is coming. Just to be clear on, on why they might be focusing on 5G, this is the next generation of wireless technology. And we've been watching a race recently for, you know, now for, for which company, which nation will be able to sort of own that next generation of technology, own 5G. Of course, U.S. security officials consider that the leader, China's Huawei, poses a, a bit of a, a national security threat. And so that was a really a key thing for T-Mobile and Sprint to sort of seize on her and call out in their announcement of the deal. Absolutely. And, the, and, and immediately said that we're going to invest billions of dollars to roll out 5G. And, and no, they, they realize this is something that you know, Trump is really kind of obsessed with. I mean, he's, he's paranoid that, that China is going to like steal 5G mm-hmm. from America. And so the PR guys, you know, working with the two companies very smartly and shrewdly pushed forward this, this narrative. The other great important factor here is that Leger, in his communication with the regulators in, in a number of letters he's, he sent over, stated very clearly that he did not intend to raise prices you know, in the foreseeable future. And also there was like some of the people who are kind of very close to T-Mobile told me that you know, the company is also making a lot of commitments of kind of extending or uh, guaranteeing wireless connectivity in rural areas of America. Again, if you think about who's in power at the moment, you mentioned the world rural, it's immediately kind of, you're not helping those cosmopolitan kind of globalists. No, you're helping, you know, kind of the Rust Belt, you know, real working class Americans in rural areas. They've communicated this deal very well. And, and that's why I think they feel very confident that they're going to get it done. Last week, in advance of T-Mobile and Sprint executives preparing to testify on Capitol Hill to a House committee, we heard from some uh, a handful of U.S. senators opposing the tie-up. What happened? What we had were, in fact, not only just any random senators. We have, I think there were five uh, Democratic presidential hopefuls. So you had Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker opposing the merger. And basically, they were urging the DOJ and the FCC to oppose and reject the merger between T-Mobile and Sprint 
on the basis that this was like bad for consumers. And they also argued that in terms of like rolling out 5G, I mean, we were they were clearly overplaying the importance of of the merger to allow 5G to be rolled out across America. That's according to these senators. Absolutely. This is their their view ahead of this important hearing occurred last week. And we've mentioned that the FCC is somewhat more sympathetic to this deal. The DOJ's head of, of anti, the, the antitrust division has also sounds appear to be fairly favorable to the deal. He's not kind of he do, he hasn't expressed any serious doubts. The DOJ head of antitrust being Macon Delrahim. A lot of the critics of this deal point out to the fact and have urged Delrahim to kind of think about how he behaved uh, in the case of AT and T buying Time Warner. In that case, he fervently opposed the deal. He went to court against AT&T, and then eventually he lost. Megan, do you have any reaction? Uh, we're going to read the opinion and see what the next steps are. I mean, we're not trying to say that the cases are similar. In the case of AT&T and Time Warner, you had two companies in different industries getting together. Here you have a much more traditional deal. It's like two competitors who are you know, literally in the same business getting together. So it's like a straight kind of classic M&A case. And they're saying, like, you need to be as strong as you were with AT&T, Time Warner. You should behave in the same way with Sprint and T-Mobile. This is what the critics say. Even if the deals are very different, somehow the critics have brought in the whole AT&T, Time Warner case, which, you know, a lot of the observers at the time thought that the Trump administration and his antitrust head were using antitrust to settle kind of a political dispute with Time Warner that, you know, controls CNN. I mean, Delroy made a lot of good points about why he was opposed to AT&T buying Time Warner. Basically, in his view, it is very difficult to set specific rules to kind of police a merger once it's done. This wasn't a case where you, you let two companies get together, make a few divestitures, and then it's all fine. This is a case where there's a danger that like certain you know certain content would not manage to get onto AT&T viewers because they would be promoting more of their own content through Time Warner, right? And so in the past the way you you deal with this is through some behavioral measures, effectively setting some rules that you can then police. And and Del Rahim's case is like it's really hard for regulators to police if you know if you're behaving properly. So it's much better to get a deal done clean from day one and understanding that, you know, this this deal, whatever you do is OK for us because we don't think this is going to harm consumers. And and so that, that 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 was his main case. I mean, obviously, it's way more nuanced. There's like a lot of words have been spent on this, but this gives you a sense of like what was at stake in the case of T-Mobile and Sprint. The concerns are much more basic. It's like you're you're wiping out your competitor. That allow that means there's fewer options for consumers, and it makes it easier for you to raise prices. The view has somewhat changed from in in the regulatory sphere because they think that it's like the competitors are not just three, but there's actually m- way more competitors. And there's also a belief that by allowing T-Mobile and Sprint to get together, they will be in a better position to compete with AT&T and Verizon, who are the two dominant players for the time being. So that brings me to my next question, James, which is, you know, as the number of these indirect competitors in the telecom space grows, I'm thinking of the various functionality on our 
as our social media apps from Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, even sending direct messages on Twitter. You know, the way that we're able to communicate on a mobile basis is just so radically changed. What is all of that going to mean for the way that the T-Mobiles and the Sprints and even the Verizons operate and how they're regulated? Well, the importance of voice over internet effectively raises a number of questions of like, what happens to your regular telecom company? Or or even let's, let's step back again. Why did AT&T by Time Warner, well, they need to diversify their offering. They can't just be a you know dumb pipes company. That That's what they were. I mean, they need to get into this new space. They need to be able to offer great content. They need to be able to attract people towards them. And so what everybody has been talking about for years is convergence. So everybody's like moving towards like kind of in the same direction. You want to be able to offer content. You want to be able to offer um, voice communication. You want to be able to offer internet. The the goal is effectively for AT&T, Time Warner to be able to compete with Comcast. It's to be able to compete with Spectrum. For, from a consumer perspective, there do seem to be options. The question is, are they real? Who will actually survive this this period of, of disruption? You know, and we don't know. How, how this space will look in five years' time. It could well be that, you know, T-Mobile and Sprint, one day will be acquired by a big cable company. Or maybe Facebook buys them. So who knows? I mean, I think it's less likely that a big internet company like Facebook or Google would ever do that. But, you know, we, we can't rule it out. So in the meantime, what's the mood on this deal? Is it is it expected to be approved despite its critics in Congress? I think what most people expect the deal to go through. So that's point number one. By when? Sometime later this year, in the next three or four months. You, you never know with these with these decisions. You know, the fact that, you know, Democratic presidential candidates have opposed it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It does, though highlight the concentration of power is becoming an issue that like major politicians are willing to talk about you know bernie sanders has never really been that outspoken about kind of monopoly and partly they are now also because of the power that you know players like facebook like amazon like google are playing in our economy and so there is much more pushback and and i think this this will be one of the big themes during the election, I don't know, you know, we in the last one, you know, the pricing of drugs was a, a hot potato. I think in the next political cycle, concentration of power, especially among these telecom media and, and, and tech players, is going to be crucial. All right, I think that's a nice place to end. Thanks, James. Thank you. You can read more about the T-Mobile Sprint deal and the attempts to regulate the telecoms industry and big tech at FT.com. And let me know what you thought of today's episode. You can email me at BehindTheMoneyFT.com or tweet me at Amy P. Keen. That's A-I-M-E-E-P-K-E-A-N-E. I'd love to know where you're listening from and what you'd like to hear more of on a future episode. Thanks to Eric Krupke for his help producing this episode. We'll be back next week.